Hey everyone, welcome back to the Water Lab Podcast. I'm James Marshall and this episode is brought to you by Water Lad Coffee. Yes, last week we teamed up with the best coffee bean in New Zealand and created the delicious Water Lad Brew. It comes in either whole beans, espresso or for a plunger or filter and it comes in three different sizes, 200 grams, 500 grams or go get yourself the big 1kg. This is a game changer if you like your coffee and if you're a lad, head over to pomeroys.co.nz or waterlad.com and go get yourself a brew. What a lad, what a brew. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, it's not too late to go get yourself some merch and help this podcast grow. Anyway, let's roll today's intro, which is the same intro as always. I love that intro and I know you do too but anyway now that we've got the start of Super Rugby Trans Tasman underway I thought it was time to get one of my Aussie legends on for a change and who better than today's guest he's played for the Queensland Reds he's won the Super Rugby with the Waratahs and of course he's the closest thing to becoming a Wallaby you will ever get as well as that he's a London Irish legend and as all my guests are, this guy is an absolute lad, one of the greats. It is Brendan McKibben. Welcome, Kibbo. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for the intro. Always love it. I was anticipating what, was he, what you were going to say this week. You didn't miss a beat. <laughs> mate, and you were, right into the, you were right into that jingle too. That's your sort of tune, isn't it? I love the jingle. Yeah. I think it's a great addition. Yeah. Whoever's come up with that has done pretty good. Yeah, it is. But anyway, what are you up to? Where are you? Currently in Sydney. Got a day off. Um, I'm coaching rugby at a school, director of rugby at a school, and also coaching first 15. So pretty time-consuming, but I love it. You love it. You're back to where you belong. Yeah, I think so, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, I am. So how was post-rugby for you? I know you went straight into coaching referees, didn't you, after rugby? So how was that, and how did that all – how did that transition all work out? Yeah, so straight – it was basically six months before I, I retired. I took a job at Rugby Australia coaching referees. So as soon as I finished, I already had a job and basically left London Irish two weeks later. I was I was in the HQ building here here in Sydney. So it wasn't much of a break and it was it was good because it was seamless. Yeah. I worked for them for almost uh, close to two years and I got made redundant last year when the new Rugby Australia um, restructure, like they cut 80-something jobs. And I was, I was an easy one. I was sort of last in, first out type and, you know, if business decision, I would have done the same. So, um, and then it took me, you know, about six months to find a new job. And that, that was actually really tough. But the transition initially was pretty seamless. But then going into the workforce and going, okay, look, I'm available during COVID. No, no one, no one's hiring. But I've landed, I've landed on my feet now, which is, which is nice. Oh, you always land on your feet. You're one of those guys. But how is it coaching referees? Because obviously you've never ref before. Yeah, I... I found it interesting because when I first came in, I had some ideas and I just wanted to just to soak up as much as I can and listen to these guys. And the way they talk about the game and the way they look at the game is just so different from what a rugby player is. So yeah. I try to bring a rugby player's perspective to it, get them thinking, okay, where should I stand? What would a team anticipate what a team might do to get myself in the best possible position to see and, and just little things like that. And we, we spoke a lot about the game. The way they reviewed the game is completely different. Yeah. 
And I think referee coaches in the past, they're always getting told, boys, you've done this wrong, you've missed that, you've missed this, you missed that. So, you know, I know if I was, if someone came into my workplace and was sitting telling me every two minutes, look, you hit enter too hard, space bar, should have been a comma, uh, working on your sentence structure all the time, you'd be, you'd turn around and you'd tell them piss off. Yeah. I, I know any, anyone would. And, and so we tried to, we tried to grab and harness the good that the referees are doing and then obviously have some work-ons as well. So from a review point of view and a preview point of view, try to get them to focus on some positive things for the match. Mate, you sound like a gun coach. <laughs> That's unreal. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> and we still get it wrong. <laughs> oh, referees, mate, they're tough. It's tough because they could referee the house down for 79 minutes. They are one decision away from potentially ruining ruining the game or ruining an opposition for a result. And and so they, they, they can never switch off or they never drift. And that's really hard to do, especially when, you know, they've seen something. They might have seen a, someone around the throat or someone around, you know, in the, around the face. And then they've got to follow the play, but they're actually thinking about the previous. But it's hard to then switch off and know what's next and get what matters. And so the better refs are doing that. And some of those better refs are, are ex-players. How hard is it to actually referee a game? Like you talk about just one bad decision, but there's so many decisions in a game of rugby that you have to have to be on for, eh? Like it's literally such a hard game to ref. Exactly. And the non-decisions are the ones that actually matter. So it's the getting it's getting what matters and, and, and not making a decision can actually benefit the game. And so, okay, yeah, he might have held him down at Iraq or it might have been whatever it might be. Okay, line out some more. They went a little bit early. Okay, I'm going to grab them on the run because that's going to be a trend that they're doing rather than penalising it straight. Fellas, if you do that next time, it's going to be a penalty. What were your thoughts on the captain's challenge that was introduced? I loved it. I liked it. I liked that. It's, it's different for the game. And to be able to use that tactically is, is really good. I, I, I enjoyed that. And you refereeing, you obviously, did you ever want to get into refereeing? Uh, I, look, not actually refereeing because I know how much they cop. I don't reckon I'd be able to do it. Week in, week out, everybody hates you and you just constantly cop. The resilience piece of the referees is pretty is pretty strong and it needs to be strong. And I, um, it didn't really interest me, to, to be honest. I did referee a couple of games and scary, I loved it. I liked it. I was like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. This is cool, yeah. Because you're still involved, you still see the hits, but you don't actually make a tackle. Not that I made many tackles in my, but you're close to it. And you're part of it still. Um, yeah. So that's 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 the aspect that I really like, but not week in week out. But what about you? Talk, you spoke about the refereeing and how much they cop. So you're obviously around it all the time. How much sort of criticism do they get, and how do they deal with those? It's crazy. It's, it's a crazy amount, and it's a scary amount for some coaches. So some coaches who will get beat 60 to 10 send in 15 clips and you're like, well, come on, seriously, have a look at yourself uh, before. Clark Laidlaw, the great Clark Laidlaw <laughs> always used to say, don't never point the finger because you got, you're pointing one finger but you got three pointing back, oh, are you? Nice. I, I really like that. I've used that actually in my coaching. <laughs> um, and so – yeah, that they do cop a lot, um, and, and fair enough. They're actually pretty thorough uh, with their review, and their self-awareness is getting better. So they put their hand up and they say, look, yes, I've missed that or I've made a mistake. And they're actually functioning as a team now, not not just as in the middle. Before when we came in, 
um, a couple of ex-players who were coaching, they were kind of like, if it's to be, it's up to me. You know, I'm the man in the middle, I'm going to make the decision. But now their leadership and working as a team is evident mm. each week. They don't get that decision right all the time. No, well, no one could. But you were a big part of like banter and um, did you still get that in the refereeing and in your workplace now or is that a big part of rugby you're missing? Nah, I, I, don't, I don't get it as much uh, in the school. <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine, we got to dial it down a little bit. We still do it, but we just dial it back in, in things that we say and things that we do. But certainly, I, I did bring it to the to the referees. They were great. Again, it was sort of individual. They they are in a team in a rugby Australia team. They were individuals, and we tried to bring that team aspect to it. We think we got there. It was pretty good. Um, things around camps and dinners and and sharing information. Um, but also, yeah, giving each other a little bit of a ribbing. I, I certainly brought that in. If you can't laugh at yourself and, you know, I don't want to put it on others, then I can certainly <laughs> laugh at myself. <laughs> you were always good at that and you've come up in a few <laughs> What a Lad episodes already. One Blair Cowan <laughs> spoke very highly of you. Oh, your Steve, ability yeah, to... <laughs> he would have been rapable. Yeah. <laughs> I actually listened to that episode and that story he said was cracking me up. <laughs> it is so true. But... He did not touch me and I just kept running. But the thing is, I milked it afterwards. You know, you know when you bait someone, you, they get a little bit red mist. And I was just like, he's gone here. And I just kept going and going. And the more I did, the harder he came back. And he was actually filthy at me. He would have talked to me afterwards. Oh, oh a couple of crack-ups. <laughs> you were so good at it, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved it. Was he the easiest for you to get or was there a few other guys who used to find easy targets? Oh, he was pretty easy. He's probably the easiest actually. Um, <laughs> and I know you had a little bit of involvement as well, but like even even the little things, you didn't even have to say anything, but Blair in a team meeting, because he would stuff up his words a couple of times, <laughs> he knew his content. He was perfect. So he knew everything and he knew what he wanted to say. But when he would go to talk, <laughs> all the eyes would be on him in the front row. We'd all look at him. Someone would just in make a face. <laughs> he would stuff up going into a team meeting. We were inside his head and like, you didn't even have to say <laughs> So that was a sweet spot. Yeah. Oh, oh I, I used to love it. I miss those <laughs> meetings with, with big Blair Cowan. Absolutely. But, mate, I do miss the change room banter. Yeah. I, I Like, I was... I loved it. I loved that team room, the on-field, off-field camaraderie. Um, I remember a guy used to say, oh, look, when we went to like an exit meeting in the RPA and he said, the big thing you'll notice is your phone goes silent. And it does. Well, mine did. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I would get, you know, you get drip-fed messages and I'm still in contact with a lot of guys. But instead of having 60 messages or WhatsApp messages in groups that you normally part of each day, you know, you go down to 10, 20 a week yeah. um, where guys are just that, hey, mate, you know, or you're checking in on each other rather than the, all the gifts flying everywhere and, you know, <laughs> being part of that. that that's something I, I did miss because I spent a lot of time looking at gifts because I, I wanted to get quality over quantity. Um, <laughs> now my wife just cops them. She just shakes her head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Yes, it, it is a big part of it, isn't it? The, that sort of camaraderie and banter you're constantly getting as a rugby player. But. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's massive. I mean, that's you go out and you go to war with these bikes every week, every weekend and you match days. So you've got to be able to get along. Everyone talks about culture. What does that look like? Culture is different for mm -hmm. every, every team. 
Um, yeah. But but relationships are key, and that was a big one for me. Oh, love it. Anyway, let's go back to the start for a young Brendan McKibben. I, you sound Aussie, you look Aussie, but you're not Aussie. Where, where were you born? And yeah, I'm not an I'm not an Aussie. Uh, I'm a Scotsman. I I was born in Irvine in Scotland on the west coast mm. and migrated when I was three and a half. It's probably one of the greatest things my parents have ever done. They went out on a limb and they moved my sister and I. When, when I was three and a half um, over to Australia and they said, look, we're going to give each other two two years, our family, we're not, we're, we're, regardless of how hard it is, two years we're going to stay in Australia. I think within the first couple of weeks they're like, we're set. They moved, we moved in late, uh, late October, early November, so it was a hot time of year and they were like, wow, how good is this? Normally it's freezing cold and dark in Scotland. And, <laughs> and, and I've been so grateful because – I don't know what I would have turned out to be if I stayed in Scotland um, or what I would have done, but I was so grateful because I had opportunities, never sp- spoken about land or space or weather so much, um, but you certainly notice it when you go to the UK. So really grateful for that mm. and, and loved it because I was exposed to so many different sports and a lifestyle that I probably wouldn't have got in Scotland. Mm. So what sort of sports did you play growing up? Everything. Yeah, I was uh, played a little bit of rugby league. My dad loved football, so I played soccer. Um, I was into swimming during school, and but everything everything was like what my mates did as well. And that's the, that's that's a big part of it. Like your mates, your mates at school, they're like, "Oh, we're doing gymnastics." You go and try and gymnastics because you get invited to a birthday party. <laughs> you know, the kids' birthday party goes this, and the kids are talking about a birthday party. You're like, I want to be part of that. Okay, I'll go play rugby. So my um, the kid who I was in primary school with, George, good good little friend of mine. Don't know George anymore, but <laughs> let's track down George. We, let's, yeah, <laughs> let's have last time. He'll be he'll be somewhere. So so George got me into play rugby, and I went down to Ashgrove Jeeps as a junior, and I was playing rugby and rugby league as well. Um, and then I stopped playing rugby league because. All my mates were playing rugby at Jeeps, and, and, and that's where I started playing rugby as a, a, a five-year-old and never looked back. Real, wow. You've always been very energetic, even now. Like I know you're an energetic guy. Were you like that as a kid? Were you just into everything, 100%, wouldn't stop? Wouldn't stop. Like if they were to diagnose ADHD back then, or it would be, <laughs> it would be evident, I would be on medication. I sh- I'm sure of it. My, all my teachers would have said, Get this, give this guy something to calm him down. Um, what my mum used to do, she used to put me, you know, some kids who are on the reins, yeah, like the dungarees. I used to, mum used to put me in dungarees and she used to put the reins on my back when I go to the shops <laughs> just to keep me close. Um, now I think you can use electric collars and stuff like that, but yeah. <laughs> you invented the lead. <laughs> oh goodness me. Uh, mum tells a story of like, I don't, I don't really remember it, but it was, you know, the tomato ketchup were in glass bottles back yeah. in the day. And uh, there was a, a stand and it was like a promo, you know, you get at the end of the aisles. Anyway, I swiped the tomato sauce bottles, probably, you know, hip height. So the whole thing came down. <laughs> Mum was so embarrassed. It was, I'm pretty sure I, I was red, not from the tomato sauce, but from my mother. Um <laughs> woke up two weeks later but yeah that's uh i think that was the end of my shopping expeditions. 
the, the start of the lead. Oh, mate, I could imagine you. You would have had an absolute nightmare. I was into everything. I think that's why my parents put me into so much sport as well. I was like, how yeah. are we going to tie this guy out? What do we do? Mm. I think it's a great way, um, not only to tie someone out, but for, for kids to go and experience all different types of sports. Yeah. So when did rugby become sort of an idea that it could be a profession for you? Mate, it wasn't. It wasn't really an idea that it would be a profession until maybe I was like 17 and I got the contract. Oh, wow. I got the Reds Reds Academy contract um, because I, I was making all like the Queensland sides and all that when I was younger, Queensland 16s, Queensland 18s and then 19s it was then. Um, but I was a flanker. Mm. And then I finished school. I still got contracted as a flanker at the Reds Academy. And then Eddie Jones was the coach there of the Reds at that time. And he said, mate, I can't sign you, mate. You're too small. <laughs> and so I um, so I was like, oh, okay, that, that's kind of me done. I, I love rugby. I love playing with my club brothers. And he said, look, you can he can beat a halfback, mate. You're going to be halfback. So he got me to change and he took me to Saracens and I just threw passes. I went over there and changed from seven to nine and and that was it. What do you mean he took you to Saracens? Like was that with was that a contract? He was he coaching them? How did that work? Yeah, he was. So after the super rugby season they did all the contracting and they let me know. They said, Look, we can't sign you because you you're not big enough. I wasn't tall enough and I wasn't weighing enough. And any weight that I put on would have to be was gonna be bad weight just because of my um, physique. And so I said, look, you try halfback. You know, you'd be great, nippy, you're everywhere, you fit. Um, and passing was a constant work on. And Eddie then got the sack from the Reds and he went to Sarri's head coach. So he took me over. He goes, look, I'll bring you over on a six-month trial because the Super Rugby finished in July and didn't your preseason that didn't start up to late December. Yeah. So he said, come for six months. And I did and I passed and I passed and I worked with Moses Raluni. And the, and the skills coach then was Paul Gustard. So I just worked with them so much. And at the end, they offered me a contract. And they said, look, we'd like you to stay. We think you've you know, improved remarkably. We'd like you to stay. What do you reckon? But I couldn't do it. I was so homesick. I was so homesick. And I just emailed the Reds back and said, look, they've offered me to stay. I'm pretty homesick. You know, is there anything you could do? And they offered me um, – a contract on a wider, wider training Reds contract wow. as a nine. Sure. I left there six months ago as a seven. They offered me as a nine. Ben Whitaker sent me that email. I'm like, I think it was the 22nd that evening. On the 23rd of December, I went into Eddie and I said, look, they've offered me something. I, I, I can't do it. I, I want to go home. And they put me on a plane within like six hours and I was at Heathrow <laughs> on my way home. I got home for Christmas. Oh, wow. It was awesome. It was so good. Yeah. I was so homesick as a, as a young fella. Yeah. I was so homesick and, and it was so good to be home. And then, and then you know, six days, six days later, seven days later, I was starting at the Reds as a nine. Gee, what a turnaround, eh? Six months of passing yeah. and you've turned yourself from a world-class seven to a world-class nine. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I was world-class, <laughs> but yeah, I know what you're saying. So then you were back at the Queensland Reds. You're, you're now a nine. How was that going into that environment? Oh, it was good. It was really good. There was a guy called Will, Will Genia. Oh, <laughs> he was there. He was the right. younger guy. He was, yeah, he's all right. And Sam Cordingly was finishing up. Oh, yeah. Um, and Nick Berry actually had just left the referee. You know, Nick Berry, yeah, the referee, yeah, yeah. he had just left to go to go overseas and stuff. So just trained and worked hard. I just had to keep working on my pass, decision-making and knowing when to kick, when to run and when to pass because my balance was all off. 
I was just thinking, contact, they're good. <laughs> dummy, go. Dummy, go. And then, you know, I got tired quickly because I was getting belted. And then being Eddie, Eddie taught me a lot around the balance of picking your moments and, and when to run, kick and pass and, and, and the cues on that. And so that helped a lot. But it was a constant work. I think the club that I played for, Brothers, was mm. the one that accelerated me, promoted me to to really get that get those professional contracts because I enjoyed my time at Park Footy at Brothers, and we were successful. Yeah, it helps when you're winning, but we had a bunch of guys who just loved the razzle dazzle. We would it, it was head wobble everywhere. You would have <laughs> been very very proud, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, well, you say that they got you there, but I mean, two hundred and twenty three points from you that first club season you're playing for them. That is unbelievable number. Goal kicking, playing halfback, just scoring points at will. Wow, you pulled that stat out. Yeah, 223, did you say? That's a huge amount. Huge wow, number. I didn't realise I was that good. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was a good it was a good season. We we scored a lot of points. Club footy's the best, Jimmy. You're playing at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, great crowds, hostile crowds, mm. throwing the ball around. So um, yeah, I loved it. And it helps. Yeah, it helps when you're winning. Yeah. But because I was I love going to training on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, the banter and all that. Mm. It, is, um, it really did help promote me, I think. And then you got a wee taste for the Reds debut against the Chiefs. How was that one? I was nervous. I was really nervous, especially playing the Chiefs. But how good for it to be the narrative of making your debut against a Kiwi side at home mm. and in front of your friends and family and, and, and all your mates. And so that was awesome. That was great. Um, came on and they were like, oh, you're goal kicking. As soon as you come on, you're goal kicking. So uh, we came on, scored a try uh, not long after, guilty. And then I, I was able to kick and that settled my nerves. Once I was able to kick a goal, bang, I felt, oh, I'm part of this. Yeah. But before that, I was so out of my depth. I just felt like I was, I was out of my depth that I shouldn't be here. And, you know, and people always tell you, oh, I know you've earned the right, you should be here and everything. But until you actually play, until you actually feel that you can prove something in yourself, you go, you, you don't, well, I didn't feel like I belonged. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ride at training, but, you know, who's not good at training? Um, you try things at training, but it's yeah. the ability to be able to do it on the, on, on the pitch. And, um, you know, I just focused on my bread and butter just the passing, the kicking and all that, and the goal kicking when I came on, it helped. And once once I was able to do that, I, I was settled and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool and I want to do it more. So and it was infectious once you get your first cap. Yeah, did you always – were you always comfortable goal kicking? Was that a big part of you? Obviously, um, to, on debut, to be goal kicking, that for me, that sounds like huge pressure. Like, oh, this is the last thing I want to be doing is kicking a goal straight away. But you obviously enjoyed that and you felt comfortable once you were in that environment to goal kick. Yeah, I, I did because I fell into goal kicking. The, the guy at Brothers was like, oh, mate, I don't really want to kick you kick. And so I was like, oh, okay, started kicking. And then the kicking was actually going all right. Didn't have much coaching, but I did a lot of it because I loved it. And um, then they were like, okay, I was going all right at it. You goal kick. And, and, and then that sort of settles you as a player as well when it's one of your strings to your bow and you can actually, you're actually able to go and do it. That settled me because I was like, oh, great. It wasn't actually that much pressure. One, some uh, kicking coach once said to me, um, anything in the, in the 15s, non-negotiable outside the 15s, fair play. And so I always took that mentality. Nowadays, it's not really like that. These goal kickers are unreal. But um, 
that's what it was in 2008, 2009. Yeah, so where was that kick from outside the 15? I think it was just on the 15. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's that one, negotiable or? <laughs> My legs were shaking. <laughs> uh, no, it went, it went over. It went over. So I was lucky. I didn't hit it that well from memory. Oh. Um, bit of a dead duck, but... <laughs> Got the point. It's a good sign of a goal kicker when you don't hit them that well and they still oh, go through. 100%. But then obviously you moved down to Sydney. What was that uh, move about? I went down to Sydney and New South Wales contacted me. They liked what they saw and uh, I, I jumped at it. Queensland were, had a younger team, sort of rebuilding phase. Waratahs had a lot of guys. Beric Barnes and I um, went down there at the same time. So I was in chats with him. He said, mate, come down. It'd be great. It'd be really good. And there were guys like Phil War, Al Baxter, like really old heads that I, I was looking forward to going and playing with. Luke Burgess was the current Wallabies nine and he was at the Waratahs. So, so nice to be able to go and learn and lean on his experience and he was great. Mm. So did you get much game time or you straight back to club rugby carving up? Yeah, went straight back to club rugby and carved up. You probably got your stats there. How many points I scored that year, Jim? You don't know. <laughs> All I know is that you got club player of the year. By a long, long way. <laughs> they stopped counting halfway through the season. <laughs> the referees decide it. Oh, do the referees they? decide oh. that player of the year. Yeah, they give a three, two, one. So I must have been all right with the referees or some of them. You were, anyway. quite, you were a bit of a nose to the refs, weren't you? Or did you, were you pretty good? Um, I, I was a bit of a nose in general, but not so much to the referees because as a nine, I always knew that the referees are going to make the decision. So I'd be like, even if it was the most horrific call and I knew he got it wrong, I'd be like, it's a good call, mate. <laughs> and then the one time, the one time that I asked for a penalty or something blew up, they'd be like, oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I might oh. get it. No wonder you got all their votes. It's all about playing the game. Yeah, I'd rock up to the game and tell them how good he's looking. You know, three points. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! But yeah, and then oh, and then, and then I made the I was playing some games um, for the Waratahs the following season, and that was again nervous. Do you fit in? Should you be here with those guys? You train with them, you train well, you're confident in your own game, but playing, you don't want to let them down. That was my biggest thing. Mm. You never ever want to let your teammates down, and until you actually play, you don't know. Did you feel like once you'd played that sort of? completely went or was that sort of lingering with you throughout your career? Throughout my whole career. Throughout my whole career to the very last game. Um, wow. My biggest fear was to let my teammates down to do, um, to make a bad decision or a wrong call. But I, I, did a, I did a kick once. In the, we played the – Waratahs played the Reds and it was the last minute or last like 30 seconds. I didn't realize what the time was on the clock, like just mm. inexperienced, nine, not knowing. And we had practiced all se- all preseason, you know, space in behind, you know, guys call it nines, don't worry, you just react. One guy called a kick in behind, bang, I didn't even think. I just reacted, put the ball down. Time was up when the Reds got the ball. They went a couple of phases, ran 80 metres, scored the length of the try, and we lost it. Like, I have nightmares still about that. I cannot get that out of my head. I'll be driving on, like, for a long drive or just randomly having a shower and that pops into my head, like, and it kills me. It really does. I'm like, oh, how do I, how do I get this out of my head? But I can't because I can still see the kick. I feel the kick and and the feelings afterwards. 
that I've just let a whole squad and my teammates down. Like it's just, it's it sucks. Yeah. So did that ever stop you from putting yourself in a position where um, you might make a mistake? You know, like you had an opportunity to potentially go for something, but the fear of failure was too much that you thought you'll just play the safe option. Yeah, I reckon sometimes it definitely did where I probably wouldn't have backed myself to run as much or or maybe to execute that kick that I just passed. Now, that pass is all right because you, you just see it and the coach sees it and everyone else sees it and they go, yeah, that's just a pass. Same. But what I could have done to influence the game, I probably didn't because of that fear of failure. Now, I learned from that mistake and actually then – it became a real positive. I knew how to close out the game. I knew how to manipulate the sides. But I took that one thing mm. early on in my career that still haunts me to the day. And every time the Reds play the Waratahs, massive rivals, every time it comes <laughs> up on Instagram, they show it as a Reds miraculous victory. I'm like, my mates always tag me in it. They always tag me in it. They're like, oh, brah, remember this. Yes, I do remember it. Don't send it to me. <laughs> Uh, I joke about it, but it actually, it honestly kills me. I hate it. I've got hot flushes talking about it now. <laughs> oh, the brutal realities of a rugby player, eh? Like you're always under, yeah. you're always under the microscope. One mistake like that has obviously haunted you for what extra, what 10, 15 years, whatever it's been. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously. Yeah, it has. And um, the thing about that uh, that pressure. It's not so much the pressure, Jimmy. It's the fact that I have a fear of like letting those guys down mm. and that how much I can influence that. I mean, yeah, it's only a game in that, but still, I still like struggle to let that, let, let that one thing go. And that's probably the biggest one that I can remember. Mm. And probably one of the only ones I was about to say, because you didn't often make mistakes and you did have a really good career at the Waratahs. So any highlights from your Waratahs time? Obviously, you won the Super Rugby title in 2014. What a year that was. Yeah, that was a great year. So probably two main highlights or three. If I was just to name three, it would be like one, my debut against the Sharks. It was a Sunday afternoon. Cracking. Awesome, awesome day for footy and Waratahs have pushed so hard for a Sunday afternoon so game and they don't normally do it because of you know television rights and everything. Normally seven forty five kickoff, but we got that three three o'clock kickoff on the Sunday Arvo. So perfect. I was used to that three o'clock kickoffs club games, used mm. to the you know, the process. Perfect. Then the the other one was probably playing against the Lions, Waratahs Lions. British and Irish Lions. This is not the the British yeah. and Irish Lions. Yeah, not the not the Lions <laughs> from Joburg. Eh? Um, no, nah, not those guys. <laughs> a few memorable games against those, but no, the British and Irish Lions in two thousand and thirteen. Oh, Just un- unbelievable. The lead up afterwards, everything about it, it was it was really good. That was special. And then the two thousand fourteen finals, probably the other highlight. Mm. So talk to me about that final. What a game that was, right down to the wire. Clutch moment from Bernard. Clutch moment. And again, referee decision. Could have gone either mm. way. The Richie McCaw over, our, our forward, Tolu Latu, picked the ball up from the back of the ruck, just a little pick and drive. He was kind of isolated. He got tackled, but Richie McCaw went in for the pilfer. His left foot was probably, yeah, it wasn't square, but normally – you would let that go. Craig Joubert straight on at Waratah's penalty. Oh. Um, and the rest is history. Bernard Foley with the kick. I was standing behind him at the kick 
And he goes, ah, fuck. He thought he'd missed it. And it was the perfect seven iron draw. And it just came back in and just popped in that little T section of the, uh, of the, of of the uprights. Um, and then, yeah, that, that was it. They kicked off, kicked probably a little bit deeper than what they would have wanted to Mm. for a get back kick. We held on the ball and, and that was it. So it was awesome. And you kicked it out and you jumped the highest I've ever seen someone jump. Oh. Yeah. 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 It was pretty high. I'm not sure. Maybe <laughs> like 10, 12 foot or something. But um, yeah, it, it was really good. It was such a special moment for everyone because all, every team works hard. Like we get that. All the teams work hard. But for, for your side to actually complete something that you set yourself out to do, set the goals and work so hard together. Um, oh, mate, the change room scenes were awesome. Like, mm-hmm. so people crying, everyone cheering, people just sitting by themselves, soaking it all in, and that was really special. We sat in the change room for a while after just as a team, just as a, a squad yeah. and staff, and that was really nice. Sure. Yeah. So that kick would have been right on Foley's range. Did you ever contemplate um, stepping up there and kicking that? I would have if Bernard... Yeah, but he was confident, mate. He's one of those tens that – so I kicked at the Waratahs and then Bernard came in and was playing fullback and then he came to 10. And he was one of those tens. You know the tens that like, I need yeah. a kick. I'm going to kick for goal. I'm going to kick for line. I'm going to do everything. And, you know, he had the confidence to do that. It worked great. Everyone called him the Iceman as well uh, with a few clutch wallaby <laughs> kicks. Uh, so it was perfect. But, yeah, I probably would have stood up. Oh, um, and he banged it. Curly was Cur, Curly was also oh, there, yeah. um, so it would have been interesting to see if he wanted it or if he said, "Yeah, away you go, Brendan." But anyway, what do you reckon? What, what's your happen. gut say? Have you had it? I would yeah, kicked it straight down, <laughs> straight down. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Can you imagine just just chunking it, doing doing a syndesmosis or something or? <laughs> Spooning it, just taking a massive divot. Oh, you wouldn't have been. You wouldn't have been man. thinking about that Queensland Reds game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh no way! Goodness no! Oh, I would have been in isolation. Give 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 me isolation for a year at least. <laughs> so a couple of years earlier, you were called into the Wallabies, weren't you? Do you want to talk to me about that experience? Yeah. So started making some Wallaby squads just at the back end of the year, and the go away for the Autumn Internationals um, over in the UK, and was there or thereabouts. Now there was an, an injury, so I went over and um, sat on the bench for a Wallabies test. It was their final test against Wales, and yeah. Nick Phipps was the starting nine, and I was on the bench. And I didn't get on, which is why um, uh, everyone gives me a lot of ribbing once we're nearly wallabies. But I can tell you what, I warmed up. I was ready to go. I did so <laughs> many laps in the in goal, like Millennium Stadium, the crowd, the anthems. It was just such a phenomenal experience, one I'll never, ever forget. I can remember it so clearly. And I was like a yo-yo. You know, the, the manager got, yeah, up you come, up you come. So I was like, yep. Yeah. Beep off, and then I back down. Oh, Beep back on. So, oh, come on, get me on, get me on. I would have been so flat when I went on the field because I expended <laughs> so much energy in the in goal and then walking up, up and down, up and down. People always say, "Oh, you know, the people just stay measured on the bench. Don't don't ride the emotion of the game. Just sit back and watch what they're doing." 
know your role and your impact. I, I couldn't do it. Jimmy, I was riding every tackle. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> and um, But I didn't actually get on. I was like a yo-yo, up, down, up, down. And then final whistle blew and I never actually – I got to keep the jerseys, which is great, but I never got that one cap. Oh, heartbreak. Which is a shame. Was there a moment when you realized, oh, I'm not going to get on this game? No, not really, because even to the final kind of like last minute, where Curtly Bill scored a try in the corner, Yeah, I was – in the box, ready to go on. They, I think they were going to do the old, just away you go, son, just run on even if it's for 10 seconds. But Curly Beal ended up scoring and then the time elapsed and Nathan Sharp kicked, kicked the goal in the corner. Oh. Um, yeah, so I didn't get on, but it was Nathan Sharp's last game, victory, all that sort of stuff, the experience. Mm. Um, I loved it. I never actually, never actually thought, oh, I'm not going to get on. Um, I yeah. thought I was going to get them. And you obviously, being a part of the environment for the first sort of time, did you feel like this was just the start of what was to come with you and the Wallabies? Yeah, well, there's not so much the Wallabies because after that, Jimmy, I'm not sure if you know, I um, after that test, uh, Scott Johnson reached out. He was he was Scott Johnson, who's now director of rugby at Rugby Australia. He was head coach of Scotland, contacted him, said, mate, mate, can I come down and see you? Oh, so I was like, yeah, fine. So we had a massive night after that that final test in in Cardiff. He came down to see me with his wife. They drove from Scotland. We met at we met. He picked me up from the the hotel, the Hilton there, and and we went to a local pub, sat and had a coffee. And he's like, mate, I want you to play for Scotland. True. Would you consider it? And I was like, what? I've just sat on the bench for the Wallabies. And he goes, yeah, but you didn't get on, all that sort of stuff. You don't actually have a cap. We'd like you to play. You're Scottish born. Come, pick any side. You can go and play in the Guinness Premiership if you want, but you can choose either Edinburgh or Glasgow if you want. Sweet, mate, just come. What do you reckon? And I said, oh, I'll have a think about it. He rang me back that afternoon and everyone was like, go for it. Barry Barnes was like, mate, Six Nations rugby. Could you imagine being involved in February Six Nations? Um it would just be epic. And I said, yep, true, very true. So I spoke to my parents and I was like, and my my, my now wife, my girlfriend, I was like, I think, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm gonna head up. I'm going to get back, pack my bags, tell the Waratahs that I'm going to leave and, uh, and go to Scotland. By the time I got back to Sydney, I received a, an email from Scott Johnson saying, sorry, mate. Um, I, the International Rugby Board, IRB, have squashed this. They can't do it because you're classed as a, um Australian international. What? 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 For not getting on? For not getting on. So I got the agent and all that sort of stuff just to write emails, and they said no. If as soon as like as soon as you commit to a tour or something, and I was like, I can we can provide so many examples of this not happening. Yeah, and, and so I did. I didn't. Um, I didn't end up going, mate. In hindsight, yeah, that would have been great, but I wouldn't have won. I wouldn't have played against the Lions. Wouldn't have won a Super Rugby title. So, um, the decision was made for me, and and luckily enough, I, I was able to stay at the Waratahs for a few more years. That's crazy. I don't really regret. I don't regret it. I all I think about was like, geez, that would have been different. Yeah, the story would have been different, and and would I have liked it? Probably, I would have loved it because I love playing footy. Yeah, um, it just would have been a little bit different. Was the fear of homesickness ever on on your mind? Because you obviously been over there before and did get homesick. This time around, no, not even, not it. Didn't even think about it. It was more the fact 
you're seeing dollars, you're seeing the potential of what you're going to do, and you're like, yeah. well, or pounds, and you're like, I'm going. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it didn't end up happening. So you're back to the Waratahs, back with your good mate, Michael Checker, and winning Super Rugby titles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Czech's uh, an interesting character. He was a great, he was a great coach uh, for the three years that I had him. Um, few great, few good stories about him. You two got along well, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We got along really well, actually. Um, you know, I, I loved him. I love what he was about. He's a hard worker. He's past, so passionate, and um, you know, he, I believed in him. He and he believed in us. Um, so that was that was. That's a good thing about a coach and the relationships that you have with, mm. with the coach. Got a, a great story. <laughs> yeah, we liked each other a lot until until this moment. No, we 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 went over and we actually played the Lions in Joburg. You know, altitude. <laughs> we just Lions. won in Sydney. We went o- we went over there and played in in Joburg. So altitude, as you know, in the warm up, you're absolutely gas. You mm. just where's my second wind? Is it going to come? Is it going to come? We played we played the Lions and we were winning. The Lions started to come home and Yucko Creel was just um, running an absolute muck. Just a seven with a motor that I've he never seen him before. Yeah, yeah he, he was a beast and their back line was just UA. So we're like, oh, come on, you've got to put the subs on. You've got to put the subs on. Will Skelton was was playing eight ball, played 80 minutes that game. And he was like walking around. So Kopi Kepu was another one. And um, the guys were tired and, I was like, surely he's going to put our subs on. He didn't put about five of us on. I was one of them. And um, Nick Phipps actually had a really, really good game. He's got a massive motor anyway, so he, he could have run all day. But it was one of those things, as a player, you think you can make an impact to the game. Mm-hmm. And because I was a little bit older then, I was like, oh. I was, I was ropeable after the game. I was like, how's he not put us on? How has he not put us on? Oh, avoid him. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. You know, just avoid him. <laughs> and so I change room afterwards. I just grab about 10 snakes and go around the corner and eat, <laughs> eat the snakes and drink Powerade. Didn't need the sugar, but still did it. Um, and I went and sit on the, sitting on the bus and everybody was down because we obviously lost the game and I was like, oh, I can't, I can't see him. I don't, I don't want to say anything to him. Anyway, you know, when you arrive at Joburg, Monte Casino, where you stay, they drop you off just before these about it's probably like 15 stairs and he dropped us off and the bus is a front and a back door. And I was just behind the back door always. And he was at the front and we sort of doors open, walked off and um, he just like gave me this scowl, scowling look as we both met at the stairs to go up, he gave me like this look. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I said to him, I was like, Oh, Checky, you got a minute? And he goes, what? What do you want? And I was like, oh, oh. yeah. I just saw red. And I was like, <laughs> mate, send me home. Bring over Matty Lucas. Um, I, I want to go home and play club footy. You can bring someone else over and, and play next week. Um, and he goes, what? And I said, yeah, well, if you've got a moment to chat, I want to have a talk to you. And he and he's like, I'm sick of selfish blokes like you asking my time. And I was like, What? You think I'm selfish? I sat there and sit there and don't say a word. And the moment I'm asking you for your time, and we started having like this argument on the steps about three quarters of the way up. 
Mind you, the rest of the squad has to walk up these narrow <laughs> stairs. And we're standing there. He's obviously towering over me. And we start screaming at each other. And he's there going, oh, fuck you. You can go home. No, no you're staying. You're staying. You're not going anywhere. And um, I was like, fine, I'll stay. We kept walking. And he's like, ah, no, you're not going home. And I was like, right, I'm not going home. I get it. And I was like, walk off. And he goes, no, we can chat now. And I was like, all right, so now's a good time for you. <laughs> and meanwhile, I was like sort of looking back and everything. So we walked down out the back of um, the hotel with – Hey, we sit down and he's like, mate, I love you like a brother. What are you doing to me? And I kind of just said, look, this is not from a selfish point of view. This is from a team. I thought we could have added value. If you made subs, we could have won that game. And he was kind of like, look, I'm the coach. I've got to fall on my own sword. I've got to make these decisions. The other coaches wanted to make the changes as well. They wanted to put you on. And I'm like, mate, it's not about me. It's about everything. And he's, Anyway, he was like, let's have a drink. I was like, I don't want a drink. I just wanted to get this off my chest. I wanted to talk to you about it. And he was like, okay, we're good. Yep, yep. So went out. we all went out as a team last night, uh, that night. Everyone was talking about it. On the Monday, this is where the story gets interesting, <laughs> if it wasn't already interesting enough. On the Monday, he's, he's just standing around before training. He's like, yeah, okay, six, Dave Dennis, seven, Michael Hooper, eight, uh, Palo, nine, Kibo, ten, Foley, yeah. When he read out my name as nine, everyone like in the circle looked at me and I was like, oh my God, I didn't mean for that to happen. I just wanted us to get in. And anyway, so the boys are coming up like, oh, you're in his head. It worked. It worked. How good's that? Oh, well done. I said to Nick Phipps, who was actually playing well, I was like, mate, I'm so sorry. And he's like, no, nah, mate, it's all good. Like, whatever. Like, after that training, um, I did most of the reps, as you do, as a starting nine. Checker went up to yeah. um, Fang and goes, Mate, you, you didn't do many reps. Are you, are you injured? Are you okay? And he goes, Oh, well, you named Kibo in the, the starting lineup. And he goes, Oh, fuck. What? <laughs> he didn't mean to name me in the starting lineup. <laughs> so I, I, I would do the quick recovery as you do at the pool, go upstairs, text the wife. Yeah, goes this. Yeah, I'm starting. Yeah, great. How good is this? Um, teammate comes in, my roommate Dave Dennis, he's like, mate, how good is this? You know, you're starting, whatever. Get out of the shower, just having a shower, knock at the door. Yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, right, hold on. Yeah, I was still just drive myself, knock at the door. Give her, open up. And I was like, oh, just check. check. Open up. I'm bollocks naked. Open up. Hey, hey, check. And he just puts his head against the door and he goes, mate, I, I fucked up. And he was like sweating. And I was like, oh, mate, it's all good. Oh, I didn't mean for that to happen. He goes, I'm so sorry. I'm going for a whiskey. And uh, I and boys, the boys loved it. Oh, God, did I cop heaps, you know. And they're like, oh, come on, check. You're going to apologize to him. You're going to apologize to him. And he's like, oh, I'm not fucking apologizing to him. He shouldn't be started, you know. And then he turned it back on me. Um, anyway, turns out that weekend I got like, 30 minutes or something in the game oh. and he put on all the subs. So it worked, Jimmy. It worked. <laughs> but uh, I thought you might enjoy that little checker story. Oh, but yes, we are so good mates. Good. We are, but we are still, we are still pretty good friends. Was that the year you won it? No, it was the following year. Oh, so you, you sort of planted the seed for 
the ongoing success the club was about to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, he left and went Wallaby's full-time coach, but um, oh, yeah, true, I, I, I don't yeah. think I planted any seed in that man's head. That's sure. <laughs> but, I, but I was living in his head on Monday selection <laughs> for a little, for probably half an hour until he realised that he actually stuffed up and didn't meant to say my name. But, oh, goodness. Oh, so good. So then after you won the Super Rugby title, you decided to head over to the UK, London Irish. What, what was the reason behind that move? Yeah, I always wanted to go and play overseas after that initial chat with Scott Johnston and everything. I started to follow it a little bit more. I never really yep. followed UK footy, but I, then I was like, okay, I, I actually want to go and have a taste of this at some stage. Didn't know when that was going to be. But turns out um, I could have gone a couple of years earlier and then I didn't really feel like that was the right time. 2015, I said, look, we just won the Super Rugby title. I'd like to stay another year. We made the semi-finals that year. Got beaten by the Highlanders. Who ended up going on to win it, as you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, and then, and then I went the following year. So it was perfect timing, and I was really happy. And was there any other clubs that were an option, or was it always London Irish for you? Yeah, there was a couple other clubs, and I nearly went to Argentina as well in France. And I thought, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that would have been really good. But I always did think about the premiership and followed the premiership. Yeah. I wanted to um, – I, I kind of – I like what I saw because and, – and what I had read about it and try myself. A different, the nines play a little bit differently over there. Yeah. And how did you find it when you got over there? Different, mate. Daryl Gibson was, a, was, was my coach at the Waratahs and spent a lot of time in the UK. And he said, look, go over there, soak it up, listen – and shut your mouth for six months because they talk and think about the game differently. Mm. Not everything that you do in Super Rugby is the right way, and they you'll certainly get a lot of kickback if you try and implement that. That's good so advice. that's that's what that that's what I did. Um, anyone tell you that when you came over, Jim? No, I wish they did. That's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I started to try and drip feed some things in to try and change and and, and whatnot, but. It's, um, yeah, they just do. They think about the game differently. They think, you know, you can't go down the road four hours on a bus to, to win because they have a different ground. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> in any, in anywhere, it's a, it's a footy, uh, yeah. footy game. But you still, you still, you realise what um, the emphasis on home matches, what sides of their um, opposition are putting out, how big the squads are, rotation, mm-hmm. EQP, all the rest of it, plays a big part in that, something that I didn't know um, prior to coming over. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest difference for a nine? Kicking, mate. Yeah, boxing. Kicking. Games. God, kicking 17 times a game over in the UK. Yeah. Would have kicked maybe three times a year. <laughs> uh, under Michael Check, under Michael Checker, the way we, you know, we did an exit, we ran everywhere. We had a, an exciting backline yeah. with some big names who, who were devastating ball carriers. So we're like, we'll just exit, we'll just run it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but exiting your own half in the UK, doing that as a nine, contestable kicks, kicks mm. for distance, field position, big part of it. But you were a very good box kicker, so it did suit you. Yeah. I, look, I didn't mind. I love, I love box kicking. And I like the exit strategy of how I was then able to manage that and game manage it because it was all on the nines there, um, mm. where you were in the field, how you kick, what type of kick. So I like that because you got more responsibility and greater responsibility rather than being a threat, threatening running nine and a distributor at, um, in Super Rugby and not much of a kicker. 
Yeah. So you had mixed success over at London Irish though. A um, few tough years and a few good ones. Yeah. That, so the, the tough years are when you get relegated. So we got I got relegated twice when I was at uh, London Irish. And you get relegated from the premiership, has all types of effects. The first year was the biggest one where you get relegated. Yeah, you keep your contract. How good's that? Still get paid the same, but you're playing in a different league. That's disappointing in itself. Coupled with the fact that, you know, we're sitting there at training and people are walking out crying on the phone to their partners or families because they've been made redundant. They lost their job because of what your performance has been like on the pitch. So you had a, you you know, direct responsibility for these people losing their roles. And um, that hit home to me. I I hated it. I felt sick um, knowing the fact that, you know, I don't even know how many people, but there were at least 20 plus lost their jobs because we as players didn't perform on the pitch. And for you to have a direct involvement in that was pretty, was pretty hard to swallow and pretty hard to look at and see because um, you develop relationships with these people. They're good people. Love rugby. All of a sudden, sorry, your team's crap. They're staying. They're still going to get paid the same, but you're out. Um, so that's difficult. Yeah, it is brutal. But then you obviously uh, rectified that and got them um, promoted straight away the following year. Yeah, I would say we got them promoted, you and I, um, <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> oh, what Jeez. a partnership. What a partnership that was in the finals in particular. Wow. Uh, like, the finals was a funny one the, because you do the playoff home and away, aggregate points. So it weird. Was inc- Oh, so weird. You know, you're going into a final and you you seven you run out and you're 17 points up. Mm. Like, it's actually hard to get your, your head around, especially in the final after we did okay in the actual final, not the semi-final home and away, the final home and away. And then we run out and we're playing Yorkshire and we, we, we go up a lot. And not only on the screen does it show your current score, it shows the aggregate. So you're looking yeah. at it you're like, oh, we're 45 to 12. <laughs> Yeah. We're going okay. <laughs> then we made wholesale changes and the boys just wanted guys Frankie's name. They were just after Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> he got sent to- did oh, he get yellow card or something? Nah, he got he got red carded because did the he? boys started hitting him off the ball. They were trying to wind him up and then it ended up being a scrap and he was and, and he threw back. Um, oh, Frank Frankie got angry, stone cold. He just unleashed. But that meant he missed the barbarians. He was filthy. He oh, was playing the barbars right. like the following week or the week after. He had yeah. and he missed it. He missed a payment of, of his barbars cash. So he's pretty filthy <laughs> at that. I'm sure he wouldn't have minded if it was another league game, but um <laughs> No, Frankie how tight he is. That would have that would have cut him deep. <laughs> oh, speaking of tight men, there was one that in particular that you got along really well with, Jeff Cross. He's come up a few times in the podcast. <laughs> you must have some good Jeff, stories on him. Jeff Cross, like honestly, Scottish international, tight as cramp. Like, just a strange, strange guy. And <laughs> yeah, so mate, just, just, just on that tight story, he, we used to go to a place called H&H, a coffee, coffee joint after training. Yeah, anyone was invited. You, know, you get 10 or so guys there sitting, having coffee, drinking, eating schnecks all afternoon. They close at five o'clock. One afternoon, the lady came because, you know, you pile so much money into the till. She came and said, oh, do you want all the leftover cookies? Just put them on the table. Jeff lived kind of upstairs of H&H, like diagonally upstairs. And um, he was like, he came in 
So he came in after five o'clock. He's like, all oh, these cookies. We're like, yeah, they just gave us all these cookies. So Jeff, <laughs> proceeding that afternoon, would knock on their door at five o'clock asking for all the leftover cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, he would wait and go downstairs to the Tesco's, which was next door. He'd go to the, and, and get the off milk. So, you know, used by date is like yeah. 27th. If it's the 27th, he'd go down there on 28th and ask for all their off milk and wouldn't pay for it. Really? <laughs> yeah. How bad is that? Just put milk's cheap, mate. <laughs> Give <laughs> oh, back to the so farmers. Give back to the local farmers. Oh, goodness me. Did they give them as the cookies? No, 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 they didn't. They oh, didn't. Sure. No, no, they, they knew what he was up to, crafty <laughs> character. But another Jeff story, like this is not mine, but it's pro- it's pro- it's actually Mike Coleman. So Moo, Moo lived with him. Yeah. And up, he was. I think this is in Edinburgh and he was upstairs. Mike was freezing and Jeff's wife was like, oh, Mike, you know, do you want us to turn the heating on? You're cold. And Mike, polite as they come. No, 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 it's fine. Jeff just goes, don't worry. Downstairs heating comes on at six, you know, because <laughs> heat rises. <laughs> so he never used to put his heating on because he'd always just get the heat from the floor from downstairs. <laughs> oh, he's a special, special human that like. Wow, yeah. he, he must have saved some cash throughout his rugby career. Oh, yeah, I think so. He, def- he, definitely, he definitely did because he wouldn't shout. He would not shout. And every anytime we go on social socials, you were only allowed, like, your beers. Everyone would just, oh, boys, just grabbing beers. He'd go and go, I'll have that whiskey, please. And he'd have the top shelf whiskey. <laughs> the most expensive thing. Bartab's gone like that because Jeff's had three whiskeys. Oh, wow. Classic Jeff. Yeah. Classic, Jeff. Mate, one of the one of the perks of being over in the UK is all the places that you get to travel. So many spots, just hour flight or something away. So, any good trips that stood out for you? Yeah, look, I I went everywhere um, because they told us that you know you'd have a week off. Yeah. Way to go Tuesday to Sunday. Uh, my wife and I would just book book, book places. We go anywhere. But one one particular trip that does stand um, stand out was a, a trip a trip to Prague. <laughs> so I wasn't going. I wasn't initially going to Prague. It was all the young kids that were going from Prague. Cheap ads, awesome nightlife. Have a massive weekend. So they were like, "Oh, why don't you ever come? None of you old blokes ever come and stuff." And I just said that to my wife. I was like, "Oh, boys are giving it to me today." She said, "Why don't you go?" I was like, "What?" Is this, a, is this a test? Is this a test? And she said, why don't you go? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I should. Yeah, what do you reckon? I'll go for a couple of days. Oh, no, I was only going for one day yeah. because we were going to Venice later on. Oh, yeah. And I rocked up to the airport and I saw I saw the boys because I knew what flight they were on, just subtly got that. and yeah. So I booked a flight, didn't even book a hotel, and rocked up to the airport and they're like, oh, hey, where's Weens? You know? So, hi, ah, boys. I'm coming to Prague. <laughs> no, whatever. Where is she? And they were all like have, having a drink before they hopped on the plane early in the morning. And I was like, nah, and I had my ticket. And I was like, I'm coming to Prague. And they're like, who's coming to Prague? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we had the best time. But um, one story on that trip that does stand out is like, we'd had a few drinks. We'd done a bit of bar hopping, a few drinks. We're going into another pub. And we're going, boys, it was a bit of a walk to this pub. Boys, right, we're on a charge. We'll get in there as quick as possible. Yeah, more points, more points, all that sort of stuff. Just as we were about to go in the pub, 
two dogs came, two beautiful dogs. Lady Walker, two beautiful dogs. Everyone's, oh, Greg and Gilly. Oh, so look at this. Um, and everyone's down patting the dog. And Louis's like, get in the pub now. So everyone's like, Shit. we like school children, shut ourselves, go in the pub. Then, <laughs> then Louis goes to the toilet and we order drinks and we're sitting there. Oh, where is he? Yeah, whatever. He comes back and he sits down and he goes to have a drink and he has like, has, has a drink. <laughs> As a drink of his pint, he's like, oh. And he smells his hand. <laughs> he's like, oh, yuck. <laughs> and he goes to Steely, who's a Scottish guy next to him. He's like, hey, does, that, does that smell like shit to you? <laughs> and he goes, Scott's there. He goes, that actually smells like human shape. <laughs> and he had, shit, he had shit on his hands. It was the funniest thing ever. The story is really funny for me because the memory in my head's funny. I'm not sure if it's that uh, that funny for you, but anyway, um, that that was that was really good. The way that sort of eventuated. Yeah. Oh, that's Somebody an absolute wiped classic. Bottom and uh, and yeah. Human shite. Um, yeah, need a bit more soap <laughs> on his hands, I think. That <laughs> afternoon, old Louis. <laughs> oh, some oh. absolute lads. That would have been some trip. But anyway, mate, how did the career end? What happened? So did you have an injury? What was what was the ending point for you? No, I um, I was going to stay at London Irish for another year. Got contacted by a couple of guys at Rugby Australia in late November. Yeah. And they said, look, we've got this role, this new role coming up. What do you reckon? Nah, didn't consider it. They called me back two weeks later and said, look, please, if you've got five minutes, bit of FaceTime. And they sold it. They sold the dream. Mm. So there goes this. My wife was about to give um, birth to our first child in January. And I said to them, if I was to take this role, I wouldn't be able to start for another five months because I wanted to finish off um, the season um, for London Irish in May. And I did that. They were happy to do that and cover the workload. I worked a little bit whilst I was um, in that five months. And and so, yeah, I just took I just took the job and it was a perfect time for to get my wife and the little fella back mm. um, back to Australia around family and support because that, over in England we didn't have anyone. We didn't have um, any friends or family. Well, sorry, yeah, we, we didn't have any friends. No, we had <laughs> friends, but um, we didn't have any family or support to come you and help us lean out, on, which, yeah. is, uh, which is always ideal when you've got kids. Oh, 100%. Oh, smart option. So that obviously wasn't a plan. You hadn't really planned to be a rugby referee. It just sort of all happened. Did you have any plans that you wanted to do? or No, look, Jimmy, I wanted to be involved in sport. I knew that. Not necessarily rugby. I'm involved in rugby now, but I didn't want to pigeon pigeonhole myself in, in rugby. Um, yeah. So I'm just finishing up my master's in sports coaching, but I, I, I like the idea of program structures, the way coaches work, and trying to get the best out of athletes. So it didn't necessarily have to be rugby. It is rugby, but, um, yeah, I like all sports. Oh, geez, you're a lad. And what a career. Man, some of the – Oh, some of the great stuff there. But as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions. And Brendan McKibben, the almost wallaby, he came up with tons. I'll choose a few. Um, first question, who do you look up to? Could be taken a few ways, this one. <laughs> I like what you did there, Jimmy. Not many people can do that, just a little subtle. But you're really good at those subtle jokes. Anyway, um, oh, look, as a rugby player... There was plenty, a guy called David Croft and George Smith as a young seven, always looked up. There was also, mm. um, I hate to say it because I hated playing the Kiwis, 
because I always lost. Josh Cromfeld. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I used to love watching him run around. But um, yeah, Can't as a rugby gags. player, those guys. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, this one. What is Israel Folau like? That's an interesting one. Yeah, um, really, really top guy, phenomenal athlete, probably the best player I've played with. It's a huge call too. That he is a he is an absolute freak. Uh, he's so good. Yeah, yeah, absolute freak. And he was really good around the squad. Yeah, loads of stuff has come up about you know his Twitter, and we, we get all that. But it wasn't he wasn't like that around the guys. He wasn't like that around the group. He would be, you know, the, we had a um, team Tonga Islander, huge Islander connection. They would keep to themselves a little bit, but he wasn't influential like you would see on his Twitter. He was great around the guys, loved a bit of banter, didn't go out as much as what, because he used to just get smashed. But when we used to have socials and everything, it was really, really good. He was always coming to them um, on the field. You know that you know you know that um, oh. he, he he was freakish ability at training. You'd hate to get him in a one on one because he would just be he'd step Jimmy. His step would be like five meters. Yeah, he's like a racehorse. Um, and then obviously in the air, it's just unbelievable. For, Greg Tonks yeah. remembers how good he was <laughs> in the air. Oh, one of the greatest <laughs> photos. Eh? Oh goodness, don't bring that up. Tonksy, he's a nightmare. It's probably like my Reds thing about that. Um, no, you, the, the old Tonksy wouldn't have much to do about that. No, not many people in world rugby when his his aerial ability. Yeah, I don't know if you could be upset about that. I mean, the guys jumped like three meters in the air. Yeah, yeah, um, he was a freak. He scored so many tries for the Broncos and Storm. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Interesting to hear from a player who's played with him because obviously he does get a lot of, I guess, hate now with what he's come out with with his Twitter and stuff, but to hear that yeah. he's not actually Yeah, he, he gets he get, he gets smashed. No, he's not. He's not. He's he, he was really, really good. Um, as I said, like nothing. He would never try and push anything on. He'd never have any judgment or say any judgment around mm. anything um, and was really, really good for the squad. Mm. Well, that covers the next question because it was the best player that you've played with. Israel Falau is the answer. Yep. Who is the best referee in the world? Oh, don't really have an answer for that one. Um, mm, tough. Yeah, at the moment, I, I would say a guy called Damon Murphy, Australia. He's coming up, little red-haired guy. He's good. No, I'm yeah. only saying that because he was my groom from my wedding, but um, he's a Rugby <laughs> Australia referee, and he goes, all right, Ben O'Keefe's pretty good. Um, so, yeah. The thing is with refs, eh, you're only one game away from being the worst referee again. <laughs> oh, yeah. And each week. Each week you're getting smashed, so yeah. it's really it, it is really difficult. As long as you and players can adapt and, and they are consistent, mm. then you shouldn't have any issues. But there's always these unique things that come up in games that catches a referee out or a player or a decision or a non-decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tough, Jack. Anyway, top three Aussie lads. This is be an interesting one. Adam, Ashley Cooper, Dave Dennis, and Kurtley Beale. <laughs> wow. What yeah, a crew. It's our, it's our golf golf crew. Yeah. Is that, it? Definitely the top. Yeah. We've been to a few golf tournaments and golf <laughs> trips that have been quite a lavish trip, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, need another one. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. So you guys don't play anymore because you're retired or? No, we just, the stars haven't aligned. Both um, Adam and Dave are uh, playing for the 
guillotines in MLR. Yeah. Kirtley's at Racing. Sure. And I'm just too hard. And I'm the school, yeah. But the the funds are there, ready to go. We 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 put money into an account, so we're ready to go. Oh, real, ready. To yeah. Go. Would you ever like if if a team offered you a contract, could you play now or you don't? Yeah, I could play now, Jimmy. I'd probably need to lose a few kilos, but I definitely, um, I definitely wouldn't. You wouldn't. I wouldn't play. Nah, I've um, I've I've, I've run my race. I've had my time. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but even now, like now that I watch rugby, I'm like, oh. These guys are tough. Yeah. <laughs> These are big collisions. Yeah. These are big collisions. And 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 I don't and I you know, as I said, I'm content with what what I've done. Mm, fair enough. Because what a career it's been. Okay, next question. This is to comment about a video, the piggy and the princesses. What a video that is on YouTube. Oh, what what a ter- what a terrible video. Um look, that was a thing that was Fox Sports back in the day. Uh, and they just now now media is a, is a lot better. Piggies and princesses. That's <laughs> cringeworthy. If I would ever see that video again, uh, but yeah, you look so young in it, and your arms are massive. Well, there's something to do there with the cinematography, I'm sure, because my arm, arms weren't massive. But yeah, I was young. Certainly weathered now after um, after having a bit of sun damage. <laughs> But you, you're in the kayak, and you went well in the kayak. You just yeah, I was a beast in the kayak, probably because of those massive arms. But um, I was no good with uh, the trivia. I don't think I got one right. <laughs> no, Benny right. Mullen destroyed me from memory. <laughs> oh, one of the great videos. I <laughs> love that. <one. laughs> okay, two, two more questions. If you ended up in jail, what would your friends and family think you're in for? Oh goodness, robbery. Oh yeah, a bank a bank robbery. <laughs> Very detailed plan bank robbery. It, that would be yeah way. yeah. Oh man, there's some of the video like at the Italian job or something like that, mm. where you'd be able to get away and yeah, I like that. I love those movies. <laughs> yeah. Or or I'd go in there for murder um, oh, because my wife and child were. Um, Kidnapped, oh, like taken. I'd be like Liam. This, oh wow! Yeah, I'd love to do that. Jeez. You know, just track them down. Yeah, I hope none of this happens. That'd be but cool. yeah, that's a couple of good yeah. answers. <laughs> what a laugh! <laughs> 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 oh, so many options. <laughs> Uh, that was great to explore that type of creativity. I love that type of thinking. Yeah, I know. Okay, last last question. Best piece of life piece advice of life you've advice. ever received? My mum always used to say, there are always people watching. Be yourself all the time. Yeah. So I... Jeez, that's nice. That's all I've got. Oh, what a, but what I would say from a rugby point of view, what a way to finish oh, to the list to the mini yourself. list. Yeah, rugby advice. Play multiple yeah, okay, positions because it work. It work as a junior. As it now working in schools and seeing yeah. what these kids are up to, people are fixated on being a twelve because SBW is a twelve or a seven or their influential player who they look up to. So I would say my advice to these kids coming through play multiple positions and play multiple sports because you don't know how you're going to develop you don't know what you're going to be like um, when you're older and versatility as Mm. being a coach now versatility is key especially for selection 
play anywhere. Coach, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> you're in. You're on. Mate, great advice. Yeah. Life advice and yeah. rugby advice. You nailed both of them. <laughs> One of the greats. And, oh, mate, what a career. What a journey that you've been on. It's been awesome to get you on the podcast. I've been wanting to get you on for a long time. Thanks, it's Jimmy. been awesome to actually go through your journey. What a journey it's been. Scotland, Wallabies, yeah. stories stories from everywhere. London Irish, mate. It's been a hell of a career. And I obviously love my time playing with you over at London Irish. You're an absolute lad and um, always had plenty of energy to give to other people. I always felt energetic when I saw you, mate. You're the Thanks, energy Jim. that you brought to the team. So, mate, it's been awesome to have you on the Waterlab podcast and I appreciate you giving up your time. Pleasure. Thank you. You are a lad. Lad.